Depth of uh, appreciation that I have for Larry as our worship leader, his dedication uh, to the Lord and his love for our church. And I mean, when we uh, first started in this thing, um, it was, I don't think he'd even picked up a guitar in years. And uh, one Sunday, uh, we found ourselves, uh, uh, Larry was the worship leader and I was the pastor. And, uh, and he stayed with me all these years. And uh, I appreciate his friendship and, and just the growth. I mean, he's, you know, I love, I know as you guys do, you've probably seen the growth um, of just in his gift uh, as a worship leader. And I really appreciate that. Um, this is usually in our service where we receive our, our morning's tithes and offerings, but since we're practicing social distancing, that's to your advantage. So we're just going to compare notes. How much money have you saved this year through us not being able to receive an offering? No. Um, man, I'll tell you, God always, he should never cease to amaze me, but and he doesn't. But it's, it's just amazing during this whole COVID pandemic, you know, when everything is literally being shaken and we use the term new normal and, and nothing, you know, you can count on it's changing daily that his God's faithfulness in providing for the church, uh, through you and, and this through all the means uh, available is is literally is so humbling. And I just thank you so much for being so faithful to the Lord. Um, you know, he's just, he's seen us through this and, and you sit at times and just wonder, it's like, man, you know, how are we going to get through this? You know, I mean, as pastors and leaders in our church, we still, the same way you guys do, uh, you know, we look at the world around and, and uh, the, as the Bible says, everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. And uh, I just thank God for his faithfulness, even in the midst of our being shaken and stumbling around. Um, he is so gracious and, and thank you for your graciousness as well. We have, and if they haven't put it up there yet, there's a, a a text number that uh, if you want to give through your electronic device, you can do that. There's the other method if you're here on campus. And I appreciate this. Some people just drive. They're not in service, but they'll literally drive during on Sunday or Wednesday and come in, drop their offering and, uh, and take off. And we have an agape box in the back there and people utilize that. And you can also go through PayPal and you can snail mail it into the church. So uh, thank you so much uh, for your faithfulness and giving. As we uh, continue on this morning in the book of Proverbs, we are in a series called Wisdom for Living. And uh, the text this morning, we've, we're not really, you know, again, once you go through chapters one through nine, it kind of just, you know, is uh, no set order. And uh, in dealing with some of the specifics of uh, Proverbs, uh, there's topics that obviously uh, are reoccurring, and one is uh, one that we'll talk about today that is very reoccurring. Uh, I titled this morning's message, it's called What's in Your Mouth? And obviously, you can probably uh, guess that we're talking about our tongue and the words that we use. Uh, I mean, the text I'm going to start with today is in Proverbs chapter 18 and uh, verse 21 in particular here. And um, you know, again, as we get into this, we'll, we'll take a moment and, uh, and, and we'll pray. Father, we thank you so much for, again, your word. And we pray that, Lord, as we open it now, that, Lord, it would be food for our soul, that we could grow by it and we could grow up, we could mature in you. 
And the ultimate end, uh, and our, our greatest hope, Lord Jesus, is that in praying and worshiping and seeking you and serving you, that God, you would make us more like you, that we would have your characteristics of love and, and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, all the, those things that we all want. And Lord, thank you that they're a byproduct of our relationship with you. And so, Lord, uh, again, have your way with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, uh, for bringing that transformation in our lives today as we look to you. We give you this time as we pray in Jesus' name. And again, we all agreed saying, amen. amen. I appreciate that. That just, just like... You know, I grew up playing sports. That's the go, 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 go. But so now it's amen, amen, amen. You know, I, I, I had this, this thought this week. Do you, do you know why church is so important to you? Do you, you, know, do you know during the course of your week when you think about church, is what do you like so much about church? And, and it's probably different uh, for all of us to a certain degree. But I want you to think about this, that... The reason that church is probably in the majority of our lives is, is such a, a high point uh, during the course of our week, if you think about it, is, is when we come here, we're doing what? We're talking to God, we're, we're praying to God, we're singing to God. When we see other people, we're seeking to what? To bless them, you know? I mean, you, don't, you probably don't say amen a whole lot during the course of the week, maybe when you, you know, have meals and stuff, but I don't think you walk around, you see people, hey, amen, amen, amen. But we do that a lot here, you know, and we do it in service. And our mouth is being used for what? For worship, for praise. And maybe this is an epiphany, you know, but it's being used for the very thing that God created it for. And guess what? We feel good, don't we? I mean, I don't know too many people that when they really just get into church and they really get into the word and they get into the worship and they get into prayer, there's something that happens in our hearts that we go, man, I, I feel pretty good today. And you go, you should, because we're using our mouth for the very thing that God created it for. And now you contrast that to the rest of the week and you go, now it makes sense. you know. <laughs> and you go, because when we leave here, you know, in the old expression, all bets are off. You know, we can get in the car. We don't have to even hit the street, right? You just hit the car. And all of a sudden, it's like our mouth changes. <laughs> and I mean, not mine. I mean, people I know. I, I mean, I, as a pastor, I get to pray with people and, you know, so things like that. But um, Solomon has a lot to say uh, about the way that we say things. And, and it's interesting, you know, in the book of Proverbs, the word tongue, mouth, lips, words, it occurs something, some 150 times, okay? 150 times. So on average, if you take that and break it down mathematically, that's about five times in each of the 31 chapters. So I think it's pretty safe to say that that's a pretty important topic, would you agree, that God is speaking to in all of our lives. And, and as I've been teaching through Proverbs, I, I've told you that one of the ways that Solomon teaches, he uses a, a contrastive couplet. So he gives you kind of opposites. Or, and, and again, he contrasts things, uh, the wise and the foolish. We see that a lot with regard to the tongue and the words that we use. Uh, people in general can kind of fall into two categories. You know, we talk about things being black or white, you know, saved or unsaved, you know. And uh, to this point, you know, obviously our tongues 
are powerful things. You know, James, you could write that down. If you're a note taker, just go study James chapter three and the, and the power of our tongue and, and our inability actually to control it. Now I say inability is before Christ. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can exercise self-control. And you know, we can either draw people to Jesus by our words and by our lifestyle, or we can actually draw people away from Jesus by our words and our lifestyle. Proverbs 18.21, the verse that I wanted to begin with here today, says this, and it's one that most of us all know. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And if you had to, you know, be honest, and it's always good to be honest in church, you know, what area of the tongue gets you in most trouble in your life? What I mean by that is, you know, are you someone, when I look at this, maybe the top four ways that our mouth gets us into trouble, our tongue gets us into trouble. One is if you just turn on the news today and watch it for any, you know, length of time, especially, you know, with regard to the elections coming up, it's criticism, right? And maybe that's, maybe that's the great downfall of your tongue is that you're very critical or you're criticizing of other people. Uh, probably, and there's no order to this, okay? So it's not like, you know, that's the most in, or biggest thing that we do wrong with our tongue. Just a list here, you know. The second maybe important thing that we do it with our tongue in a negative way, I don't mean important that like it's something good, but is gossiping. I know that's nobody here, but there are people that you know, okay? We'll get into that. This one, nobody can relate to this one. I mean, aren't you so glad that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Nobody here lies, right? <laughs> There's people that are so quick that they go, if I say that, it means I'm lying. So I'm not going to respond. It was good. Or just, you know, number four, complaining. We just complain. It's just, man, all you have to have is a social media account. You know, everybody complains about everything. And you know why? Because we've created a culture of complaining, don't we? Because if you go somewhere, what do you do? As soon as you get done, I mean, I'm to the point, I don't even like it anymore. You get off a website or something, what does it come right? Are you willing to take a survey? You know, yeah, if you're going to pay me. I mean, they say you can get paid to take surveys. They go, I've done it before. I go, yeah, I'll do the survey. It's like five minutes. You know, how do you feel today? What were you thinking? You know, what did you think about our site? What did it, it's like, you know, so what do you do? You just go 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, all the way down. Because you're a Christian. That's what you should say, right? You say 10, 10, 10. And then you got to read a couple of them because they mix it up like right at the very end. And it has one that, you know, oops. And you went, oh, I said it was a one. And then they know they'll probably just, it's probably just one to kick out the, the comments then because they realize that you're just going like this, you know, down the whole thing. No one's done that. I know, but you know, people that do. But Proverbs addresses all these things, being critical or criticizing, gossiping, lying, complaining, all through the book of Proverbs. You know, when you think about criticizing other people, Proverbs 18, 21, again, just think about this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our ability to, again, we can slaughter people. We can kill people, you know, with our tongue. I mean, can you think of it? And I don't answer this. There's, there's always, in all of our lives, there's always somebody who's critical of us, Right. You know, as a pastor, you know, I, I had a few people during my life, not that many, but, um, you know, I've had a couple, you know, here and there. And, uh, and you can pray that God would kill them, okay? And, and 
John's teaching through Psalms right now. We have Psalm 73, an impractory Psalm, and you know, and you can, and there's a lot of stuff to glean out of that. You go, but you know, just know this. If God was to take that person out of your life, the devil resurrects two more just like him, okay? And so you're not going to get away from it in this life. The Bible tells us really the way you deal with it is you kill people with kindness, right? You don't return evil for evil. If you do that, it's going to always come back, you know, to bite you there. Uh, and, and the problem, you know, when we think about, you know, criticism is, is there anybody here that likes criticism, by the way? I've yet to meet anybody that really likes criticism. But, um, you know, we don't like criticism, but oftentimes we're blind to our own criticism. We don't realize how critical we can be. We just think that we're not, not we're being critical, we're just being objective. You know, I'm just being objective. You know, I'm just calling it like it is, you know, type of thing. You know, Galatians 5, 14 and 15, I'm just going to give you some scripture to think about here with regard to criticizing and what we can do about it. It says, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I mean, there's just in us, you know, we have an old nature that, man, it's just, it is set on being critical. That's just what it loves to do. And we'll, we'll get into this even further because it ties us back to the devil himself. It ties us back to our fallen nature, our sinful nature. But, you know, the Bible calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But if we're not doing that, what are we doing? If you're not loving people, you're devouring people. It's just, it's like there's no middle ground there. And so the key is, is to really focus on loving people, fulfilling the law of Christ. You said you can fill all the law, fulfill all the law and the prophets in two things. Love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's not trying to, you know, I'll try not to do that. No, it's not try not to do something. It's try in the sense with the help of God by the power of his spirit to do something. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. And so again, Solomon gives us these contrasts here, right? The, the wise and the foolish, the, the tongue that's, you know, that's wise and the one that's foolish here. And a wise tongue promotes health. And think about that, you know, today. Ephesians 4.29, Paul writes this. He says, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, only that which is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, okay? I mean, can you think about this today for a moment? And I hate going down this road, but I want you to think about it for a second. Has there ever been anybody in your life that has said something to you that cut you so deep that you still remember it to this day? I don't want you to raise your hand or anything, but I just want you to think about that. That, that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So powerful that you can remember those words that were so cutting like they just happened, you know, yesterday. They, they stay with us. And, and yet, but healing words, you know, you can also think back to somebody in your life. Maybe it was when you were at one of the lowest points in your life and somebody came along and spoke life to you at a very poignant moment and, and it raised you up and you'll never forget it because it became a turning point in your own life. And then I would ask you, what do you want to be? What type of person do you want to be? Do you want to be that person who's remembered for, you know, laying the lowest blow in somebody's life that they just can't get past? Or would you rather be remembered as someone who was there, you know, at that crossroads in somebody's life and you helped them to get around that corner by speaking life to them? Life and death, the Bible says, are in the power of the tongue. 
there's always, like I said, you know, throughout scripture you see in Jesus' life, there's always going to be people who are going to find fault. That's not, that's not hard to do. That's very, very easy to do. All you have to do is read about the Pharisees, right? They found fault with Jesus with everything. I mean, they were so full of pride. They, they were, you know, that old expression, people, they're, 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 if they're not up on something, they're down on it. And what they're not, you know, if they're not down on it, they're up on it. And so the Pharisees, they were definitely downers when it came to Jesus and his ministry. And yet we have to understand this, you know, to be critical of someone um, really ties us back, you know, to the enemy of our soul. You know, what is one of the names, you know, for the Bible in the Bible for the devil is that he's the accuser of the brethren, right? I mean, think about that. So when you're making accusations against somebody, you're not identifying with Jesus. You're actually identifying with the devil himself. He's the one who's the accuser. You go, why? Because he's seeking to divide. He's seeking to conquer. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to heal. And so we could say very easily, you know, that the devil is the chief fault finder. You know, <laughs> let me ask you this. Have you ever met a critical person that you wanted to be like? Can you name one? I mean, you think about somebody that's really critical and you go, man, you know, I hope when I grow up, I, I can become like them. There's, there's nobody. We, we can't think of it. Matter of fact, we go, man, maybe like the Pharisees, we might beat our chest and go, I thank God that I'm not like them. When actually in reality, you know, Jesus said, get the log out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of your brothers. Because one of the things we need to learn as well, especially in talking about these items with the tongue, is to think about, you know, usually the things that we don't like in other people are the things that remind us of ourselves. And that's, that's sometimes really hard to accept. And you wonder why, you know, when someone says, why well, I don't like them. And you can almost look and you go, well, I can see why. Because you're so much like them. And they, again, for them, it might, it might be a blind spot, but many times it's not. It's just denial. We just don't, you know, when you see it, it's like you just don't like it. And so, you know, you want to get away from it. But you have to ask yourself, you know, today, as I, I have to ask myself, I mean, do you want to be a fault finder or would you rather be a hope dealer? You know, and, and really, and, and we have a choice, you know, and scripture makes it really clear. Romans 15, 13 says, now may the God of all peace, or the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, it's, I'm, I want you to understand something. When I say, I said, I said hope dealer. I didn't say dope dealer. I know some of you, I had to look, I looked, I saw some of you, you looked at me like, no, I did not say dope dealer. Um, I said hope dealer. I know we live in California and I know the dope dealers were essential during this whole COVID-19. That's a whole nother study in and of itself. But I'm talking to you today about being a hope, H-O-P-E, dealer that you would you would deal hope to one another you know if you ever get to that place and i really want to encourage you in this today if you ever get to the place where you're just really struggling and you feel like you are feeling hopeless my favorite chapter and i've shared this as we were going through favorite chapters of the bible for me when i reach that point i always go to romans chapter 8 and i know some of you do too because i can see you and i know that when we talked about this previously and it's just a great reminder. And I want to encourage you with that when you're thinking about encouraging other people, especially in the midst of this COVID pandemic and people are feeling hopeless, is take them to 
Romans chapter 8. And there's so much theology wrapped up in that. I mean, you can go so many different directions. But really, to give people the hope that they need that will help them, you know, again, get through this. I'll, I'll read just the end of the chapter there in verses 37 through 39 of Romans 8. And it says, in all these things. So does that include COVID this morning? In all these things. It says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, what? Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I'll tell you what, that gives me hope. I, I hope and pray it gives you hope today. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery there in John chapter 8? Remember Jesus, again, speaking to all of her accusers, and he, he writes down in the sand that says, and one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they all, you know, walked away, right? And then Jesus says to the woman, you know, he says, woman, he says, where are what? Your accusers. Where are those who are fault-finding in you? Where are those who are criticizing you? And she looks around, and she says, I don't have any. And he said himself, what did he say? Now, could Jesus, could he have been critical of her? Yes. In his perfection, in his holiness, in his justice, you go, yes. He said, I accuse you not. And then what did he do? He gave her hope, the hope that he would provide by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That's hope. To see the best in people, even when they don't see the best in themselves. And you can think back today on people in your life that even when you were messing up, even when, you know, you deserved, you know, anything that anybody could wanted to say, and yet there was somebody in your life that went, you know what? They saw, they saw the other side. They saw what you could become, and they planted those seeds of hope in your life. And we all need, you know, as, you know, we talk about this in our life, we all need a Paul, right? We need somebody that can disciple us. And we all need a Timothy. We need somebody that we're pouring our life into. And we all need a Barnabas. We need someone who is in our life to encourage us. This journey's hard. And we weren't meant to go it alone. It's why coming together as a church is so important to us. That we don't fall to the schemes of the wicked one through, you know, whatever the government, you know, might say. I mean, you know, pandemics have existed, you know, since the beginning of, of time at the fall of man. Uh, there's been pestilence in this world. There's been disease. There's been death. And yet the church has continued through it all, trusting God. And, and again, not living in fear, but living by faith. Not being stupid but recognizing, you know, that he who called us is faithful. And there's a reason that we come together. We don't live in fear of what somebody can do to our body. You know, again, we live in fear of him who can judge the body and the soul and cast them both into hell. The safest place we can always, always be is in the center of God's will. Amen. The most dangerous place I tell you all the time is any other place. And so again, you know, seeking him, there, there's nothing, nothing like it. Nothing will compare to it. You know, one of the things when we think about being critical of other people, you know, and I always am reminded of this of sports because in sports you get to judge people and it's okay because they give you scorecards and stuff. And there are prejudices that exist, you know, between countries, individuals, this, there's racism, you know, in sports as well. But, uh, you know, again, important point, you know, and understand this when we think about being critical of other people, you know, that people, they can only live up to your expectation of them. They'll never live up beyond the expectation that you place in their life. 
And so the key is to raise our expectations, you know, for people. You know, as, as Scripture talks about, you know, don't let any unwholesome word proceed from our mouth. Only that which is good for what? Building up the other person is taking those things to heart. It's not difficult to pick people apart. If you wanted to be critical of anything, you can. But I'll tell you what, you think of in your own life, just like I can. When you're critical of something, you know, even if someone asks you and you find your, and your answers are critical, you walk away and you have this sense of this feeling that you go, man, it just, I feel dirty. I feel like, you know what, I blew it. I missed, I missed an opportunity to be, as the Bible says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. I, I missed an opportunity for redemption. And you know it. It's like the Holy Spirit. He's in the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness. And we know when we've done that. But we can also find the good in things too. Maybe it takes looking a little longer, a little harder, but you can. There's always a silver lining someplace, you know. And uh, again, so many stories, you know, that could come to mind. We have to understand, you know, that, you know, criticizing other people doesn't make us smarter. It just reveals how insecure we are. And, and it's, it's so important that we understand these things. Because again, if we don't think about the tongue and the power of it uh, to do good um, and ask the Lord, you know, God, help me to get the log out of my own eye before I try to get the speck out of other people's eyes. And we forget that, you know. And again, because they're called what? Blind spots. That's what Jesus is talking about there. And so it's making that determination, you know, is not to go down that road. How about gossip? You ever had a problem with gossip? Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a talebearer are like tasty truffles. It says, or trifles. And it says, and then truffles. I like truffles too. <laughs> and they go down into the, in, <laughs> the inmost body. Uh, you know, would you agree that gossip damages people? Yeah, it damages everybody. I mean, you think about it. It damages the person who's being gossiped about. It damages the person who's doing the gossiping. And, you know, and you think about it, it just, it damages every person, you know, that's involved. It, it, a person who's doing the listening to the gossiping. So it's not just the person who's being gossiped about. It's not even just the person who's gossiping, but also the person who's being gossiped to. It's, you think of the whole COVID, you know, virus and how it spread, you know, through particles. Here you are, and it's like life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's just the, it's like the COVID virus, you know, every time that we speak, you know, critically like that, or we gossip about somebody's, we're, we're, we're speaking death. You know, understand this, gossip takes two people, okay? Sometimes people, they'll say, well, I wasn't gossiping, I was just listening, well, that's what makes gossip. It wouldn't be gossip if nobody was listening, right? It'd be mumbling. You know, you might go, hey, they need some help. You know, but it becomes gossip when there's somebody on the receiving end of it. And so whether you've been a gossiper in speaking or someone who's being gossiped to, it involves both people. And they're both accountable before God. You think of George Floyd, right, and his murder. There was a number of police officers who were there, right, when George Floyd was killed. There was one who was kneeling on his neck but there were, there were police officers who, who were standing around. What were they arrested for? Loitering? No, they were, they were arrested for murder. And you go, wait a second, they weren't kneeling on them. They go, but they were there. It's just the same guilt, guilt by association, just like in gossip. I mean, so again, it's nothing to take lightly, you know, because a lot of times people go, well, I'm not a gossiper. I, don't, I just listen to it, you know. 
Same people that buy the Inquirer and keep them in business. You know, I didn't make up this story. I just like reading all the stories. I, I love this expression. Everything that is said must be true, but not everything that is true must be said. Would you agree with that? Yeah. We have the ability, church, you know, to spread life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You know why we gossip? You ever thought about why you gossip? Why do we gossip? So if I gossip about you, I don't have to deal with my own sin. I don't have to focus on me if I'm focusing on you, right? And we see all throughout Scripture, are we called to focus on the sins of other people? Well, we can come alongside people that are in sin, but the majority of God's Word and its directive in our lives is that we would search ourselves, that we'd invite God to search us. You know, as David would say, search me and know me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any what? Wicked way in me. Yeah. So again, understand, gossip hurts people. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse man sows strife and a whisper separates the best of friends. Isn't that so sad? Because that's exactly what the devil wants to do. He wants to divide us. He wants to separate us. Proverbs 17.4 says, An evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. Just being part of it. Just listening to it. But have you ever thought this when somebody's gossiping to you? I mean, if they, this is always the interesting thing because I'd hear things and people would say, hey, Pastor Mike, did you hear this? And I go, no, and I'm not hearing that. I said, my question, I go, why are you hearing it? How are you, why is it there? And there's always been, you know, a few people in the life of a church that they, they seem to know everything that goes on in the life of the church. It's kind of like, and, and I have to be honest about this. And, and sometimes, you know, when you find, find people like that, it's not that you tell anybody, but it's kind of like you go, tell a so-and-so, telegram, tell a so-and-so, you know, type of thing. That you might go, well, if I want this to get out to everybody, I know all I have to do is tell it to one person. Because if you tell that one person, they'll tell it to the whole world. And, and, and there's been people like that in my life, and, and, and it was sin and it was wrong. And I admit it, and I confess it, and... There's repercussions that occur because, because of it, but you think and you go, man, it's so true. But think about this with regard to gossip, because we've all thought this too. Has someone ever been gossiping to you and you thought to yourself, you go, well, if they're willing to gossip about them, what are they saying about me? It's just kind of a natural thought that goes through all of our heads. We go, man, they're hacking them up pretty good. So, I mean, are they going to, do they, I wonder if they do that, you know, to me. So we have a choice to make, you know, in each other's lives. You know, it, we can run people up or we can run them down. It's always nice, you know, when you can say something nice about somebody else to someone else and then that someone else says it back to them. They said, hey, I was talking to so-and-so and they said this about you. And you go, and what, what do we all do when they say something nice? And they tell you, really? Wow. Put them back on my Christmas card list. Oh, they were off your, well, you know, we don't get into all that. You know, you, well, I think I'm going to put them back now, you know, because they're like my new best friend. You go, you know. We all have that capability, you know, to do that. Proverbs 25, 9 and 10 says, Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears 
here's it exposes your shame and your reputation is ruined. Again, now that's talking about the person who's doing the gossiping. A gossiper doesn't have a good reputation usually amongst people whether they know it or not. Again, have you ever met a gossiper and said to yourself, man, I want to be like them? No. Have you ever heard the expression of, you know, what you say about other people says more about you than it says about the other person? Because that's true. When we're gossiping about someone else, it really, it's not saying as much about them. You might be saying things about them, but it's speaking volumes about you. So what do we need to do? Guard our ears, guard our heart. You know, last week we were talking about, you know, with regard to sexual sin, you know, guarding our heart, you know, guarding, guard all the gates of our life, guard our eyes and what we let in, you know, guard our ears, what we hear, guard our mouth. It's so, so very true. You know, Matthew 18, it makes it really clear. You know, if someone sins against you, Matthew 18, 15 says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. So if someone comes to you and they're saying, hey, you know what, I, you know, I, hey, I wanted to tell you about so-and-so, you know, or did you hear this about so-and-so? And, and you know that, again, as you think about Proverbs, I mean, it, it's like a, a, a trifle, you know, as you think about, it's tasty, it, it has a, a sweetness in the sense, but it, it, once, once we consume it, it becomes bitter in our soul. And so you, you have to be thinking, how do I stop this, you know, and one of the best ways that we can we can stop it as we just need to ask the person who's gossiping to us is just stop. And this takes courage and we need to pray that God would give us courage. But really the question that we need to ask is you go, Hey, have you talked to them about this? It's, it's just that simple. You don't, it's not being critical or anything. You just say, Hey, I got a question. You go, have you talked to them about this? And what you'll find nine times out of 10 is they haven't. They're frustrated. They're hurt or they're mad or whatever the thing is. You go, Hey, let me pray for you. You go, you know, I get this and we all get hurt. And da, da, da. It doesn't mean that you're not understanding of what they're going through. You go, let me encourage you in this. Go talk to them. You go, and if you can't, you know, talk more to God about it until God gives you, you know, the faith or the courage. But really, I, let me encourage you in this is don't be talking to other people. That's not going to fix it. But actually, it could make it a lot worse, not just for them, but for you. Because again, we don't, we don't look at when someone sins against us. You know, this is the interesting thing. Who is unforgiveness? Who has the greater burden of that? You know, the Bible says, if you do not forgive, it says you won't be forgiven, right? And here's the struggle in that. You know, I've shared this many times from this pulpit, that unforgiveness is like what? Drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You know, and we think that, you know, when we're gossiping about someone else, you know, that, uh, or we, you know, we think, oh, you know, it's just them. We don't see the impact that it has on us. We don't see that, you know, the importance of why it's so important that we, we go to that person alone instead of, you know, going to other people, you know, about it. Proverbs 20 verse 19 says this, says, he who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. I mean, there comes a point. I mean, think about this. You have to, if you just have people in your life that that's all they do is gossip. The Bible's telling us here pretty explicitly, you just need to avoid them. And you go, that doesn't mean that you're not cordial to them and that, you know, but it doesn't, it means that you don't seek them out. It's not like you go, hey, let's go have, you know, share a meal together. You go, because what's going to happen during the course of that meal? 
somebody's going to become part of that meal too. I don't know, unless cannibalism is part of your, you know, your lifestyle. I mean, you're going to end up, you know, uh, chewing somebody up. And you go, and the Bible says to avoid that. If you know that that's a temptation, well, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, flee that temptation, right? Don't go down that road. Proverbs 21, 23 says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. This is a great proverb for you parents to teach your kids. See, one of the things that, you know, what is a proverb? What is it we, we've been saying by definition? A proverb is, is a pithy statement that what? Packs a powerful punch. Can you say that with me? A pithy statement that packs a powerful punch. So Solomon's saying in a few words what you could say in a whole bunch of words, but you want somebody to remember it so you break it down in its simplest terms so they can hold on to it, so we can remember it. That's why Proverbs are so good. Here's what you can teach your kids based on Proverbs 21, 23. You can tell your kids, watch your tongue, keep your mouth shut, stay out of trouble. Say that with me. Watch your tongue, keep your mouth, stay out of trouble. That's it. And you think, wow, if we just practice that. So you could be thinking that yourself. You get in a situation, you go, what do I need to do? I need to watch my tongue, keep my mouth shut. You know, I mean, you think about this. There's an expression. It's better to be considered a fool, what? Than to remove, than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? It's better to be considered a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. It was like the, the father who had a son that had a problem talking too much. And, and when he would talk, he would just say foolish things. Everybody would call him a fool. So his father's like, you know, what do I do? He says, you know, he was embarrassed. He was ashamed. He says he took him to a city. Uh, they, they were apple farmers. And his father went to sell apples in another community. He took his son and he had some errands to do. So he left him sitting with the wagon. And he said, son, he said, I'm going to leave you here with the, with the wagon. He said, don't say a word. Okay. He said, don't say a word. Cause you know, every time you open your mouth, people believe that you're foolish. You say foolish things. So don't say a word. He said, okay, dad, won't say a word. So as he's sitting there, this gentleman comes up not too long after and he says, son, he said, I'd like to buy some of your apples there. How much are they? No answer. I said, son, he said, I'd like to buy some of your apples. He said, how much are they? Didn't answer. And he said, son, I, I've got a dollar here. I just, can I, I just like to buy an apple. Can I buy an apple from you? And the boy didn't answer. And the man looked at him. He said, you're just a fool. And he walks away. So his dad came back and he inquired. He said, son, he said, you know, how was it when I was gone? And he said, dad, he said, a man came to buy apples. And he said, I did exactly what you said. I didn't open my mouth. And he said, but he figured out I was a fool anyway. And so I don't, I don't know how that fits into the whole thing there. But, you know, I guess some people you can speak foolishness and some, you don't even have to say anything and people still find out. I don't, I don't know. Luke 631 says this, it says, and just as you want men to do to you, do also to them. Likewise. Do you like it? Have you ever had somebody gossip about you? Did it feel good? Think about it for a second. Did it feel good? You know, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Lying. Again, we can't, nobody can relate to this. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. 
How many would say that you know that you've lied within the last 24 hours? I know this is a tough one. You, you go, I, I lied within the last 24 hours. Anybody? See, nobody, we have, we have one, one hand. Yeah, because they, they've read my notes. They, they, already know, <laughs> they already know it's the sound booth. They're all both hands up. Yeah, they, just understand this. The, the odds, these, these come from social scientists, psychologists, all kinds of data. I mean, just tons and tons of data. You know, that uh, the average person, the average person, okay? Now, this is some where some people will hear this and what I'm about to say, and you go, wow, I'm above average. Yes, a category in life, I'm above average. You know, not good. Okay, the average person lies between four and 12 times per day. Okay, the average person lies between four and 12 times a day. And again, I'm not going to try to prove this. I mean, you can come up and you can say, Pastor Mike, I do not lie at all. I'm not going to argue with you. You have to take that up with God. I agree with you. I don't know if you're lying, you know. But, uh, you know, again, you know that expression. That they go, how do you know if they're lying? Their lips are moving. Right, yeah, you hear that all the time. You go, some people, there's no, it's not even a, a count. <clears throat> but we have to understand this. God hates lying lips, okay? That, that's the most important thing. And in that, in that language there, you know, what he's speaking of, when it says that, that, it, that God hates it, it says it makes him sick. It's the word nausea. I mean, you think that, that so lying, if you think about that and you want, you know, help in being cured of lying, Ephesians 4, 21 through 25 says, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So he's going, that's your old nature. Stop lying. That's not who you are. That's who you were. That, that's the old you. You know, you, you ever heard that expression, you know, you're never more like the devil than when you lie. Why? If you ever wanted a proof text for that, you know, it'd be John 8, 44. Jesus said, speaking to the Pharisees, he said, you're of your father, the devil. See, they were religious. They went to church every week. And Jesus is telling this is, and your desires of your father, you want to do. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Wow. You know, and the enemy loves when we lie because when we lie, it keeps us in bondage. Jesus came to set us free. I'll give you three quick reasons here. Why do we lie? What's the root of lying? I mean, you think about that. You think about, yeah, why do, why do I lie? Most of the time, you know, I think of my own life. And I'll be really transparent with this. We lie to protect ourselves, to protect our own feelings. You ever lied to protect your own feelings? You ever lied to protect yourself? Done it countless times. Can't even count the number of times. I, I, so I can relate to you here. Number two. Maybe you can relate to this. We lie to make ourselves look better than we really are. You ever done that? You ever lied to make yourself look better than what you really are? Yeah. I grew up playing sports. Lied all the time. Lied about statistics. Lied about this. Lied about that. Part of it was, uh, you know, 
the self-justification was psychologically, that you could get inside, you know, your opponent's head, and then maybe you could, you know, win. It was whatever you had to do. You know, it's like that old, old expression, all's fair in love and war, right? Whatever it took, you know, to win. But you know what? And this is such an important truth. I, I hope that you, you understand this with regard to lying in our lives. Why do we lie? You know the reason we lie? Because we don't trust God. That's why we lie. We, we, don't, we don't trust God because we believe that the lie will work better than the truth. And, and I understand that. I grew up with this. It was number three. We lie to avoid conflict. You ever lie to avoid conflict? Heck, I've done it thousands of times, even as a pastor in a situation. And, and people in, in that would know the situation. And I, I didn't go down a road that I could have went down. I chose, uh, you know, maybe some would say a higher road, but I didn't tell the truth. I didn't tell the truth about the situation. I didn't tell the truth about the person. And people would commend me for it even. They'd go, oh, but Pastor Mike, that was so good. And I go, no, it wasn't. In my heart, you know, I might have even lied out then and go, yeah, you know, you're right. But truthfully, and I had to think about that, especially, you know, even after becoming a Christian, you go, why would I lie to avoid conflict? And all I could do is I could think back in my own life because I grew up in a household of conflict. My mom and dad fought all the time. And it wasn't until I came to Christ that I realized that, you know, conflict doesn't have to always be you know, ugly. It doesn't have to end ugly. You know, that you can, again, you can agree to disagree. You know, that, that you really can do that. You can, you can speak the truth in love and you can listen to somebody. Now, I understand this, especially as a pastor, <laughs> that I've grown in this understanding that, you know, people will say, you know, uh, you're not listening to me because I don't agree with them. And I go, no, I, I hear everything that you're saying. And, and I can sympathize with you. I can empathize with you but I don't agree with you. And so please don't misunderstand the fact that I don't agree with you, that I'm not listening. Because people just assume that if you just listen to how they were saying and what they were saying, that you'd be on their side of things. And that's not necessarily the truth. There's my thought about something, your thought about something, and guess what? Then there's God's way or there's the right way, you know, and we have to give it that grace. But the devil wants to keep us, you know, in bondage. But I'll tell you this, and, and I've had to apply this in my own life over and over and over again. How do you get healed from lying? What do we do? I want you to think about that. Almost like you were going to have to answer it out loud. That I was going to call on everybody in the room except for John Jones, okay? I just want you to know. How would you get cured from lying? If you, if you were thinking about that. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what? To God. You want to get healed from, from lying? Just confess it to God. Go, God, it, it's sin. It's wrong. Don't, don't try to justify it. It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love this. You know, pastor I was reading yesterday, he said this, when God changes a heart, a changed tongue will follow. I love that. When God changes a heart, a changed tongue will follow. And then the second part of this, now this might be, sound confusing to you, but it's not, you know, based on what we read in the book of James. The second part of being healed is confess your sins to other people. Confess your sins to other people. And there's a reason why. When you confess your sin to other people, the enemy can't 
keep it over you any longer because what was being done in the dark, it says men love the darkness because their deeds were evil, lest their deeds be exposed by what? The light. But when you bring your sin to the light, the devil who loves the darkness, he can't use it over you any longer because you brought it out. Now he will try. He will try to get you to pull it back into the dark, but you keep bringing it out into the light. See, we confess our sin to God for forgiveness. Man, and I encourage you, if, if you've never written anything down, write this down. Lock this in, in your heart and mind. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness. We confess our sins to people for healing. You might think, wow, is, is that theologically true? Well, all healing comes from God. But here's what James says, James 5, 16. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. The effectant, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So yes, God's the ultimate healer in this, but he uses people. Because what you've discovered, and I know some of you, because I know your story, that I've sat with you and you've told me some of your deepest, darkest sins. And when you weren't rejected and we were able to talk about it and we were able to pray through it, what happened? You walked away and you said, I feel like God's healing me. Why? Because you could talk about it. It no longer was in the darkness. God had brought it to the light. Why? You know, again... Lying is so, so destructive in our lives. Last, I'll leave you with this, complaining. Now, complaining. Is any married guys in here? Raise your hand. If you're married, raise your hand. Okay, you gotta promise me, you do not laugh at this. You do not nod. You do not say amen, okay? You do nothing. I'm just saying for your own health, safety, welfare, you just eyes focus on me. Focus right here. Look at me. Proverbs 21:19. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Okay? I'm not asking anybody to say anything at that point. We're just going to close in prayer. No. Um, when you think about complaining, you know, why, why is complaining so bad? And there's all kinds of scripture. Because w what happens when we complain? What does the devil accomplish when I complain and when you complain? And the COVID virus, we've seen it and we'll continue to see it, is it gets our eyes off the goodness of God, doesn't it? When you and I complain, we don't see the goodness of God. I mean, I'll encourage you, read the book of Philippians. Paul is in a Philippian prison, right? He's been there, he's two years there. I mean, he, had, he, he definitely had a desire to go to Rome, you know, as a citizen, not necessarily as a prisoner, right? He wanted to go as a preacher, you know, but how God got him there was really unique. But Paul, if, if anybody, you know, especially as Christians, sometimes we go, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And, you know, this and this, you go, why is this happening to me? You know, da, da, da. And we start complaining about it and we don't see the hand of God actually working in the midst of it, complaining. And again, what that does to pull ourselves down and what it does to pull other people down, because God was working in the midst of everything that Paul was going through. And it's such a, a beautiful picture when you, you look at that, in, you know, in Paul's life. Philippians 2.14, Paul says, do all things without complaining and disputing. 
And I mean, like I said, you would think, you know, that if anybody, you know, Paul would have reason, you know, to complain there, but he doesn't. Why? Because what was true in Paul's life is true in your life and mine. You see what you're looking for. You see what you're looking for, which makes this all about all this here today, church. It's the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. You know, it's what's going on. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's why today, you know, as we, we close in prayer, is that we're asking God, we go, God, you know what? I don't want to be a complainer. I see everything that's going on, you know, in the world today. You know, again, but we see our circumstances. Can you change your circumstances for the most part? You go, no. And if you can change them, then, you know, you should. But when we can't, you know, change our circumstances, we need to do exactly what the Apostle Paul instructs us to do. There in Philippians 2, 17 and 18, he says, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you for the same reason you will also be glad and rejoice in me. You go, why? Paul, Paul wasn't, you know, he didn't look at his circumstances and go, oh man, you know, and he couldn't change his circumstances. He was shackled, you know, to a jailer. But he rejoiced in it. And you go, why did he rejoice in it? And you go, think about it. Is that every eight hours, there was a shift change. And guess what? There was a new, new guard that was being shackled to him. Paul had a, a fresh body to preach the gospel to. He didn't go, oh, I, I wanted to preach the gospel and I've lost every opportunity. He was like, no. He goes, who's in, who's in bondage? Who's in chains? Was it him being chained or was it the guys who were being chained to him? It's all what? Perspective perspective, how you see it and how I see it. And may we, may we not miss the goodness of God. Is God still good today in the midst of the, this COVID pandemic? Yeah, he is good all the time. And you know what? And maybe we're more guilty than even the world around us because the church has been so easy to complain about everything that goes on. And you know what? When you think about somebody who's complaining, you know, ask yourself the question, do I want to be like them? And you go, no, you like when you run into somebody who, and you say it, I've heard many of you, you'll talk to somebody, you go, man, that was refreshing. That was refreshing. That was a different perspective. Wow. God, thank you. They were like a what? A cool drink of water on a hot summer day. May God cause you and I to become those type of people. Our prayer today, my prayer, create in me a clean heart, oh God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet and we'll pray. Fathers, we, we close in this service out, Lord. We're just so reminded, Lord, like David would proclaim in the Psalms, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your inequities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you, with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, Lord. God, thank you. Thank you that you are so good all the time, Lord. May we meditate and dwell, Lord, upon, Lord, your word this week. And Lord, may you, as your word declares there in Proverbs 4, 23, that we would guard, Lord, our heart that we would take heed, Lord, 
to our heart, for we know that out of the heart flow the issues of life. And so, Lord, continue that work. Continue this week, Lord, creating within us the life that, Lord, you desire for us. And may that life spread from us to every person, Lord, we come in contact with for your glory, for their good, and for our good. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 